Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. If you have uh, children, kindergarten to third grade, and they're going to go down to Children's Church, uh, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. Um, for the rest of you here, we're going to be in John chapter 9 today, if you would like to, to head that direction. Uh, today we're continuing in our series that we're calling Miraculous Encounters. Uh, and what we're doing in this series is looking at some of the miracles of Jesus and seeing what they teach us about who Jesus is, how it is we relate with him, and what these miracles teach us and mean for our life today. In the first two weeks, we saw Jesus heal a man with leprosy. And then last week, we saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man that was carried through a roof by, uh, to Jesus by his friends. And today, we come to John chapter 9. And uh, I think what is personally my favorite of the miracle narratives, because it's so expansive in its story. And I think it is so relatable to us on so many levels. This is the story of the man born blind. Uh, and this story ha has it all. This story asks some of the age-old questions that we all ask. Um, we get to see Jesus, and we get to see the, the glory of God magnified and shared throughout the city. Uh, this is a story that I've preached on before, but I think I have, uh, have relate with uh, more in the last five years uh, than I ever did before. Uh, and so this story doesn't make life easier as we study, but it provides hope and answers uh, to those questions that I know I often lay in bed asking God. And so this man we meet today is going to go from blind beggar to standing before some of the most important men in the city in just a day. Uh, it's kind of like the, the first century Jewish version of Aladdin, but with a, a much more important message to teach us. So we're in John chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 38. It's a really long narrative, but we're going to read it all in the beginning, and then we're going to walk through it and see what it is that God has to teach us this morning. So we're in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They, the Pharisees, still did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that, that he can now see? 
We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, for he is of age and he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So for a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said, for we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this incredible story um, of Jesus' uh, compassion that he has on this man who was born blind. Lord, we thank you. Uh, that Jesus has the power and the ability to heal, that Jesus has the power to save. God, and I pray that as we study this story that we will see ourselves in it, Lord, and that we will see how you love us and see us and care for us and how you too offer forgiveness of sins to, to us who repent and follow after you. God, we thank you for this man's testimony and how it, it transformed his community and his boldness and the courage he spoke after, with, after he experienced Jesus. So God, I pray for us here today, no matter what we're walking through, Lord, that you would open our eyes to our need for you, Lord, that we would turn to you in our time of need, Lord, and that we would find our hope uh, and our future in you, just like this man did. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see in this passage, and our first point today, is that just simply that Jesus saw the blind man. I think we had this point with the leper, too, but Jesus saw the blind man. Uh, this man was an absolute no one in his culture. He was a blind man that stood on the corner begging for money. He was a no one to, no, to nobody because of his disability, but Jesus saw the man. Verse 1 reads, as he, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. I mean, point one is simple and amazing, and it's just simply that Jesus saw the man. And this is a reminder for you today that no matter your past, no matter what you're going through, no matter the uncertainty of your future or your family, you can know that Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he has compassion on you in your circumstances. Jesus sees you. If you leave with anything today, I hope it is this. Jesus sees you, he loves you, he has compassion on you, he knows you, and he gave his life to be in relationship with you. Jesus sees you today. And if that's not amazing enough, we, we get further understanding of the depth of Jesus' love when we take into the account the context of this narrative. By John chapter 9, Jesus is beginning to, to near the end of his life. 
At the tail end of chapter 8, Jesus claimed before the Pharisees that before Abraham was born, I am. And the Pharisees, they clearly understood this as a claim to be God, to be the Messiah. And in their eyes, this was blasphemous. And in the last verse of chapter 8, John tells us they picked up the stones to stone Jesus, but he hid himself and slipped away. And so when we come to verse 1 of John chapter 9, it is a continuation of Jesus slipping away from the temple. So his life is being threatened. He's on the run for people that want to harm him. And yet in the midst of that, he pauses, he sees the blind man, and he stops to talk to him. That's amazing. This man was a beggar, and because of his disability, he would have sat outside the temple, and he would have begged daily to survive, completely dependent on the mercies of others. That was his life. That was all he had to offer. And yet Jesus stops, and he sees him. So today, Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he loves you as well. And that brings us to verse 2. And the disciples take notice of Jesus' attention to the man, and they take this opportunity to approach him with a question. And it's a big question. And perhaps this might be the question that you are, are asking or wrestling with today. They say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Or in other words, why did God make this man blind from birth? Why did God allow suffering in his life? And so our second point that we're going to kind of discover here today is is this question. It's that question, what is the purpose of this man's suffering? In our world, there are so many that don't go to church or don't believe in God because of a tragedy in their lives or a tragedy that has happened in the world. And the disciples right here, they ask that question that we have all asked at some point in our lives. Why? Why did God allow this man to be born blind from birth? Why did God allow suffering in his life? And in their culture, the the common answer offered by the Pharisees, by the religious teachers, was that this disability was obviously the result of some particular sin. We saw it at the end of the narrative. They say to the man, "You you were born steeped in sin. And this is the answer that our world often gives as well. Sometimes we call it karma. Sometimes we call it getting what you get, what you deserve. And even some Christians with the best of intentions will give this as a simple answer. So they ask Jesus, whose fault is it? Did the parents sin? Or is it some sin that this man committed while still in the womb? Well, just for future reference, when you ask God questions, don't don't put them in a box. Don't just give two answers. The disciples say, was it A or was it B? And Jesus here in verse 3 says, it's C. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so Jesus says, this man was born blind, not because of the specific sin of the man or the parents, but he was born blind so that God's purposes could be accomplished in him and through him. So the point is that that rarely is, is disability or tragedy the result of a particular specific sin. Now, if you rob a bank and, and as you're trying to escape, the police shoot you in the leg and your leg has to be amputated, that is the result of a specific sin. But often the, the difficulties in our life are, are not like that. So, uh, so the blindness is not the result of a particular sin, but, but tragedy, hurt, disability is the result of a fallen world because of the presence of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And with it, the consequences of sin enters the world. And sin, the Bible tells us, has created a fallen world, a a broken world, a world that is no longer perfect as God created it. But instead, it's riddled with hurt and brokenness. 
Romans 8 says the world groans under the weight of the consequences of sin. And so often, tragedy and disability are not the result of particular sin in our life. It's certainly not karma, but it's the result of of a general sin that, that our world bears the weight of. But here's the amazing thing. God takes the tragedy, the disability, the consequences of our sinful world, and he uses it to accomplish his purposes, which is what we see in our story. Romans 8, 28, uh, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so, so Paul in Romans echoes Jesus' statement here. The Bible says suffering is not typically the result of our specific sin. It can be, but it is a result generally of the sinful, broken world that we live in. But the good news is despite suffering, God can and will use that suffering for our good and his glory. And perhaps even more amazing about this Romans passage is that Paul says God uses all things for good. So even those things that are the result of bad decisions or sin in our lives or others' lives, God says that he can redeem those things and use them for good in our glory. Back in September of 2020, we, we spent a whole week on this passage in Romans 8 where we unpacked it more fully. So if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, uh, to that sermon. But for today, we're just going to look at how this plays out in this man's life and how it, it applies to our lives. And so the promise is God can take the challenging disability, he can take the challenge, he can take the hardship, and he can use it for his purposes. But in order to, to understand this, we must have a God-centered perspective, a, a life that is revolves around God and not us. Think about this man born blind. His life was changed. He's given his sight back. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He's in the Bible for us to read about today. What an amazing story. But do you think if he had the opportunity to go back and be born with sight, do you think he would do it? I mean, I don't think he would because it was his disability, it was his heartache, it was his trial that led him to the feet of Jesus. It was his disability that served as a display of Jesus' power. It was his disability that has impacted millions and is impacting us today. So was the day-to-day hard? Was it a hard life that this blind beggar had? Absolutely. But again, do uh, do you think after the fact he would go back and change his disability? Of course not, because his life included personally experiencing God and his power. It was his disability that took him to the feet of Jesus. When God is at the center of our lives, we are willing to go through trial, to live through tragedy, to see God's purposes fulfilled and him glorified. Because God is worth more than trial. He is worth more than the pain because God is worth more than our fleeting life here on earth. But the challenge comes when, when God, doesn't, God chooses not to heal or take away the disability like he did for this man. As we all know too well, unfortunately, trial and disability and tragedy does not always result in miraculous healing like it did for the man born blind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul prays three times that the thorn in the flesh that he has would be removed. But God says no to his prayer three times and tells him his grace is sufficient for Paul. And Paul says he will boast in his weakness in God's power that is made sufficient in him. But we don't, we don't always get that perspective of time, do we? We don't get that perspective uh, or benefit of time to see how God is using it. I, I was thinking about it. The, the last time I preached on this passage, I think, was, was over five years ago. Uh, and five years ago, I didn't have the experience of suffering or hurt like I do today. And at that time, it was so much easier to preach on this. But in the past five years, our family has experienced ups and downs, uncertainty, and health crisis like I didn't know before. 
Uh, the big one is my, my son struggles with an autoimmune disease that causes him extreme daily pain. And you, you can actually be praying for him. He has uh, surgery tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and we're praying that that might uh, minimize some of that pain. But we've walked down this road for three years, and we don't know what the future looks like. We don't know if healing is coming. And on most days, it's hard to see what the plan could possibly be. And so I, like you, I, I wrestle with this question, and I wrestle with the perspective of, I don't know if healing is coming. I don't know if solutions are coming. I don't know how God could possibly use this for His glory. But that's the promise that the Bible gives us. That's the promise I have to hold on to, and that is that God could heal my son at any moment. And I pray for that, but he may choose not to. And he may have a greater purpose that I may never know of. And so in the midst of that uncertainty, we cling to the truths of scriptures that God sees us, that he loves us, that he has a plan for us that is good. And I know for a lot of you, you find yourselves in this place right now. You don't know why you're going through what you're going through. For some, it's a health crisis. For others, it's a job situation. For others, it's a relationship that's dissolved. For others, it's a major transition. And in the midst of the day-to-day, it's impossible to see how God could possibly use this for your good and His glory. But that's the promise that He speaks over you. And that's the promise that we see fulfilled in this man's life. Our sufferings, our trials, our challenges, our difficulties have purpose in the plans of God. What an amazing promise, and what an amazing promise to rest in and focus on in the midst of the unknown. And this story of the man born blind is the hope. It is, the, it is that, that promise fulfilled uh, here for us today. And then maybe you're here today, and it's quite possible that God is using your challenge, your heartache, your trial, your disability to draw you and lead you to Him. When we are walking through this life with our, with our chest puffed up and believing that we are in control, we have no need for Jesus. We believe we can do it all on our own. But then Jesus brings those challenges that come into our lives and they humble us. And they help us realize how small we are. And God uses those as an opportunity for us to to draw us to him. And when we come to Jesus, he offers a solution for us for our greatest need, which is our forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in him. And so if that's you today and you are walking through something hard, you find yourself in the midst of a challenge No matter where you are, the encouragement from the Bible and from the story and from us is to turn to God. Because He loves you. He is all-powerful. He is worthy of your worship. And He waits willing and ready to forgive you if you will turn to Him. If you allow this challenge that you're walking through to lead you to Jesus, it will not only change your life today, but it will change your life for eternity. So turn to Jesus, who is the only source of peace, of life, of healing, of forgiveness and hope available to us. Turn to him today. Trust him. That's what we see the man born blind did, and it changes his life. So let's pick back up the story and see that transformation that's about to take place when he meets Jesus and see the stir it's going to create in the community. So verse 5 says, so Jesus sees the man. He answers the disciples' questions, and then this miracle happens. Verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I I think this is an amazing story. I think as a little boy, I think this has to be your favorite verse in the Bible. I mean, I've got two boys, and I think little boys are born with this desire to just spit. And now we see it's in the Bible, and so now spitting is justified, uh, moms and dads. Um, Anyway, Jesus spits on the ground, and he makes mud with his saliva. That's a 
Uh, quite a picture that John paints for us there. But fortunately for this man born blind, he never sees it coming. And Jesus rubs the spit mud on his eyes. He does this and he tells the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And when he washes, the man can see. And we're not going to spend much time here on this, but I can't read it without mentioning it. Jesus heals the man and he immediately tells him to go and wash in the pool called sent. I love that. Jesus doesn't heal us from our spiritual blindness just to save us. But he saves us that we might go and save others. He saves us and he sends us. We are healed, we are saved, we are blessed so that we might be sent to the world to share the good news of Jesus. All right, next point is this. The man meets Jesus, his life is changed, and everyone notices. So the man goes, he is given sight, and that brings about a string of controversy and drama uh, in the community. The first thing we see is the reaction of the neighbors. They ask, isn't that the man that was blind and a beggar? Some of the neighbors said it was, and others believed it's just a man that looked like him. The man stands up and he says, I am the man. I am me. I am the beggar. And they ask him then, how can you see? He says it was the man named Jesus that had healed him. He knows Jesus' name, but he refers to him simply as a man here. Following that, news gets back to the Pharisees. And if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they were the religious leaders of the day, and they were rule followers. And so they were upset, and they were not impressed, because this miracle had occurred on the Sabbath, on their holy day. A day that they weren't supposed to work on. And so they're mad that Jesus would heal on that day. So, when they, so he's gone from... Uh, and here they ask him, uh, who is Jesus? And they call him a prophet. So this blind man has gone from believing Jesus is just a man to now believing he was a prophet or someone sent by God. And what we see here is this transformation happening. His physical disability was healed immediately, but he is slowly beginning to recognize who Jesus really is. So the Pharisees didn't believe the blind man. And so what do they do next? They go to his parents and they say, is this indeed your son? And how is it that he can now see? Verse 20 his parents respond by saying, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But he can see now, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. John goes on to tell us that they answered that way out of fear. They, they feared that the Pharisees uh, would kick them out of the church. They feared the ramifications of being kicked out of the faith. And so they just kind of passed the can down to their son. Uh, this reality of fear and persecution makes the belief and courage of the blind man all the more amazing. So the controversy leads to the point where the Pharisees call uh, to the blind man again. And they say, give glory to God, for we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So join us in calling him what he is. And the man wards blind's response is bold, it is courageous, it is powerful. The blind man, who was a beggar just hours ago, says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But the one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. This man says, I, I, don't, I don't know these things I, you ask. I'm not as well read as you. But the one thing I know is that Jesus came into my life. He gave me sight and he changed my life. I was blind, but now I see. You can't argue that. I was blind, but now I see. And if you're a Christian, this is your story too. You were blind, but now through Jesus, you have sight. And that's why our stories are so powerful. When people question your faith, when people question the Bible, when people ridicule you, you don't have all the answers, but you can always share your story as this man did, and it's irrefutable. 
the life change that has occurred in your life is always valid. For you, your story might be you were in the midst of relational strife and Jesus came to your life and he changed everything and that's your story and that's valid. Your story might be you struggled with drugs or alcohol and then Jesus changed everything or or you were living a life without purpose and then Jesus gave you a purpose. You were on the the verge of suicide until Jesus intervened and he gave you hope. Your life was wrapped up in material possessions until you found Jesus who is more valuable than gold. You were blind, but now you see. So I don't, I don't know your story, but you, like this man born blind, have a story of faith. A story of how Jesus has changed you, and your life story is always valid and always powerful. Have the courage to share your story. If you've never done that, maybe uh, your application for today is to write your story out. Write it out on a page so that you can share it in a minute or two. An easy outline for doing that is just these three, answer these three questions. What was my life, bef- life like before Jesus? What happened that changed me, and what is different about my life now? I'll, I'll just share, you a, a, share with you a, just a, a brief example of what this might look like. Uh, it's a story of a, a friend of mine uh, from back in Oregon. When I was in seminary, I helped at my church's youth group. Uh, and one night, we had a young man named Garen who stumbled uh, into youth group that night. Uh, we were kind to him. We helped him get back home. Uh, Garen had been expelled from school just a couple of days before for multiple uh, drug violations, and his life was not no, going nowhere positive. He was, uh, he was intoxicated that night. He stumbled into youth group. But a friend had invited him. He remembered, and he came. And then week after week, surprisingly, he came back. And not only did he come, but he listened. And one Tuesday night, we were there at youth group. His eyes were open, and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And when Garen accepted Jesus, he went all in for Jesus. With help, he overcame his addiction. He eventually graduated from high school. And Jesus radically changed his life. Uh, it's pretty cool. He's now in seminary working uh, on a degree and also working with a church plant uh, in New York City. But I'll never forget, at his baptism, his family showed up to watch him. And one of the youth workers asked his mom about her son and what she thought about Jesus. And this was her response. She said to him, I, d- I don't know much about Jesus. But what I do know is that since my son started coming to church, he is a different person. And Garen's life, his story, his testimony would eventually lead to his family becoming followers of Jesus. But in the same way, your testimony, your story of what Jesus has done in your life is powerful and it's irrefutable. And it speaks to people who are walking through similar challenges and trials. Take this time this week to write out your story and share it with someone. Because when you meet Jesus, it not only changes your life, but people will and they should notice the transformation. Write out your story and be ready to share. Okay, back to John 9. I love what happens next. The man born blind, the Pharisees call him in. They call him in multiple times. And he starts preaching to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, about who Jesus is. And in this, we see his courage cost him. It says they began to scorn him. And they throw him out of the synagogue, which means uh, more than we can really imagine in our culture. If we're thrown out of the church today, we just go down to the next church on the corner. But that's not how it was uh, in his day. To be, to be thrown out of the church uh, was a thing that his peer, parents feared. It's why they didn't respond to the Pharisees. But to be thrown out of the synagogue means that this man loses his faith. He loses his family. He loses his culture. Uh, the most similar thing we could uh, relate to today would be like Muslim converts you hear about. When they're baptized, they're disowned by their families, by their communities, and their culture. They lose it all for their faith. And this man born blind here, he loses it all for Jesus. But then we hit verse 35, and it's pretty amazing. It says, when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, 
Jesus went and he found him. Jesus hears what has happened to the man and he seeks him out and he finds him. Church, this is, this is our role. When someone comes to faith and they are disowned by their family for their faith, by their friend group for their faith, it is our responsibility to go and find them and welcome them into the church family. While many people we know will not uh, likely be disowned by their family if they follow Jesus, they will likely lose friendships. They might no longer feel comfortable and welcome where they used to visit. And it is our responsibility as a church to welcome them into our lives, into our patterns, and to provide the friendship, family, and the culture they gave up for their faith. This church should be a place that welcomes people in with love, with compassion, with hospitality. That's how Jesus goes and finds this man and welcomes him into the fellowship. And so our final point is just this. The church should be a refuge. We've seen this personally many times, but uh, the greatest example that comes to my mind from my life um, would be that of my father-in-law. He accepted Jesus at the state fair when he was 12 years old. Uh, His stepfather was an alcoholic. His mom worked full-time to keep their family afloat. Uh, And from the outside, he was a young boy that had absolutely nothing to offer. He was from the wrong side of the tracks, from the wrong family. But the men in his church took him under their wing, and they taught him about faith, family, and being a man of God. And so this is our role, church. We must be ready to do that uh, for the new believer that is disowned, or for the young boy or the young girl who has experienced Jesus but has no example to follow. And we do this uh, practically by inviting friends into church and, and into the activities of the church. You can do this by making visitors and, and those you don't know feel welcome at church. You can do this by serving and helping at kids night or youth group or being someone that, that intentionally welcomes people on Sunday mornings. You can do this by serving those who are walking through trial and difficulty, through bringing a, be- a meal, through helping with childcare or expenses or praying for them. There's so many other examples. But we serve and welcome and are a refuge for other, others. We see a need and we step in and serve. And that's what Jesus does for this man born blind. Jesus seeks him out and he asks him that question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man born blind asks him, who is it so that I may believe in him? Jesus tells him, it is me. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. I love that progression. He is healed physically immediately, but but his progression of faith goes from Jesus is a man to he is a prophet to he is Lord. And he falls down and he worships him. The man is healed physically, but way more importantly in the story, he is healed spiritually. He sees Jesus for who he is and he believes. And while physical blindness is a tragedy, spiritual blindness is so much more serious. And it's the condition that we are all born afflicted with. Just as Jesus sought out this man and gave him physical sight, Jesus seeks you out and he offers you life eternal and spiritual life if you will turn and follow him. So I love John 9 because there is so much there. We could preach five more sermons uh, on this passage. But I love this narrative and how Jesus meets this man and transforms his life and how it impacts his community. And so as we respond, uh, there's a few different places I think we could be. Perhaps you could be here today and you have never uh, surrendered or put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus sees you, that he loves you, that he loved you enough to die for your sins on the cross. And if you will turn to him, if you will repent for your sin and follow him, he is faithful to forgive. And in that, maybe you are in the midst of the trial. You are in the midst of the hurt. You are in the midst of the uncertainty, and you don't know where to turn. Maybe you uh, were like the man born blind and God has a purpose for your trial and that purpose is to draw you to him. 
So if that's you and you don't know where to turn, would you turn to Jesus today because he waits and he is willing and ready to forgive you and welcome you to his family if you will turn to him. If you're here today, you can put your faith in him in your chair. You can surrender your life and follow after him in your chair by simply saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that you are God. I believe you came to life and you died the death my sin deserves, and I want to follow you all my days. You can do that in your chair today, and if you do that, he is faithful to forgive. Or maybe you have questions and you don't know about this Jesus guy. I would encourage you to come and ask those questions. I would love more than anything to talk with you and share with you how you can follow Jesus and what that means. But know that Jesus sees you. He loves you. He has a purpose for what you're walking through. So would you respond to him today? Or maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, but you are experiencing trial, you're experiencing tragedy, you're experiencing disability, and you don't know why God would allow you to experience such pain. Maybe that's allowed you to turn hard or angry, and you are questioning God instead of trusting him. The message for you from this story is simple, and that is that God is still in control. He is wise. He loves you. He has a purpose for you, and he is using your circumstances for your good and his glory. His purpose is if for your life is to, to make him known, and he will use this trial for his glory. That, that, that truth doesn't necessarily make the circumstances easier. It doesn't necessarily mean your challenges are going to go away, but you can rest in him. You can rest in his love. You can trust, trust your challenges to him, and he will trust that he will give you his peace in your circumstances. So would you just today, would you, in your seat, would you just surrender whatever it's you're going through, going through to him today? Trusting him with your life and trusting your trials to him. And lastly, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like this blind man after he came to faith. And you're facing opposition for your faith. Maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're overwhelmed, maybe you feel like an outcast. My challenge for you is to remember what God has done for you and stand strong in your faith. Reflect on your story and how he has changed you. Reflect on all that God has done, how he has loved you and cared for you. And then with boldness, share your story of faith. God has worked a miracle in your life. He has saved you. He has given you sight. Make that story known. My prayer for you and each of us today is that many would know Jesus through our stories of faith. I'm going to pray for us. As I pray for us, the worship team, they're going to come and lead us in a final song. Uh, but I would ask you to reflect on what it is that God has for you today. Dear Lord, we again thank you for this uh, incredible narrative of this man born blind. Lord, we thank you that you are a compassionate and loving God. We thank you that you sent Jesus uh, while we were still sinners. That you sent Jesus to give his life and to die the death that our sin deserves. We thank you that if any will repent and turn to you, that if any will ask for forgiveness and believe in you, you are faithful to forgive. God, my prayer is that if there's anyone here today that is walking through trial or challenge or adversity, God, my prayer is that they would turn to you. That they would turn to you maybe for the first time and they would experience your forgiveness. Or maybe they would return to you and that they would trust you with their circumstances. Trusting that you are good that you love them, that you will use whatever they're going through for, for, for your glory and their good. God, would you help us to find our rest and our peace in you alone? And God, I pray that not only would we be saved for our salvation, our purpose, but we would take our salvation, that we would boldly share that good news with others. 
We thank you that you didn't just come and die for some, but you died for all. God, will we be faithful proclaimers of that good news? I thank you that you save us, and then you send us to the pool called sin. I thank you that you save us and that you send us out for your purposes and your glory. So God, I pray that we would respond faithfully today, that we would give thanks to who you are, Lord, and that we would, in all circumstances, turn to you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.